90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm here. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. It's also also here. It's been a very busy couple of weeks. I think we're going to ship two or three pallets of equipment in the next week or week and a half or oh, so that's always fun is it going to antarctica those are my favorites <laughs> uh no the antarctic stuff will be leaving in august oh, okay. uh, a bunch of these are going to a volcano and to oh. a lab oh well that's exciting do you ever get jealous of the places you're sending things <laughs> Very, because people send us pictures, which is great. But they're like, "Oh, you know, here's here's this thing in Antarctica, or here's this thing like in South America, or something." Cool, doing cool stuff. I made that, and I'm not there. Yep. Uh, uh, I have threatened several customers that I'm going to stop writing manuals. They have to oh, take me. I mm-hmm. am the manual. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you should do. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean I'm. Field camp's over. Yay. Yay. But I'm still grading. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm in the middle of my second summer of online native science course. So for some reason, the summer session this year is real weird and it's not over till July 9th. So I'm still grading. <laughs> you know, I think if you if somebody did like a transcript of all of our shows, I know. I think you, you could see the word grading like peak three times a year. You could see the word field camp get this little bump of, yeah. I know. And I was just thinking that. I'm like, man, I don't have anything to say, but like the normal like things that I say, one of the assignments that I give and um, one of the lectures that I give in class is all about geologic time, right? And I talk about how some cultures see time as a circle. Most cultures see time as a circle. Some see time as an arrow. And I'm always like, what do you think? It's definitely a circle now that I reflect on this. <laughs> yeah. You know, we are coming up on GASP 300 shows soon. Oh, my gosh. Like wow. before the end of next month. <gasps> That's so exciting. So we have to come up with something special for show 300. And one thing I think would be really fun is we, we get to talk to each other every week, which is great. Uh, And we get emails from you all, which is great. And we used to get some audio clips, but what I think would be super fun is for everybody to just send in a few seconds, just say hello, who you are and say hi. And we'll put a bunch of those in show 300 because I think it'd be neat to, to hear who's listening and for other people to hear too. That would be so cool. I love it. So you can I'm, you can go like Radio Lab and you know yeah. Radio Lab has people read the credits. So exactly. Oh, yeah, that would be so awesome. So somebody's gonna have to show my mom how to use her recording and your mom, and then we'll be done. Right? That's it. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't need to be premium. I mean, preferably don't do it standing next to the subway, uh, but. Just the voice memo app on your iPhone is plenty good. Yeah, that'd be so awesome. Yeah. So say hi to us and send those in uh, to the show email, please. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. 
Yes. You can find us on Twitter. Oh, wait, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, we did talk for quite some time. So, you know, sorry, I had to make an emergency trip. So I didn't grab my microphone before I left and we were gone last week. And um, yeah, this is what happens every time that happens is that we have to catch up forever. Um, yeah. Well, and hopefully we're going to be able to get, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit. Sometimes we get a show or two ahead. We do. When is it? Are you cheating on me? Are you doing a different <laughs> podcast? <laughs> we, we have been known to, especially with interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that is true. But there's a lot of times where we don't. We're recording within 48 hours, if not less, of when you hear it. <laughs> that's why it's so interesting to me when we talk to our other buddies on different podcasts about how much production goes into the show, you know, cause I mean, I don't think we sound terrible and we're just winging it. This is, this is really bad for me. Like I need to, yeah. <laughs> well, and there's both sides too, because there are some podcasts that live stream while they're recording. That's true. Uh, not that we do a terrible amount of editing, but yeah, we're we're somewhere in the middle. We we don't get weeks ahead. We do have show notes, especially if it's an interview. But we generally have show notes. Um, but we also don't immediately release. We do go through and do a, a minor bit of editing, clean up coughs, clean up if we step on each other, that kind of thing. And my cat making weird noises behind me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all that happens. <laughs> she finally settled down, so it should be okay. But, you know, actually talking about using the uh, the voice recorder app on your phone sort of leads us into what you want to talk about this week. Right. So in terms of show notes, I was making show notes. And then, but there's this thing that's been kicking around in my head for a little bit. And obviously we talk about digital stuff all the time. And we always talk about, you know, what's the best digital thing to use and how people are using digital stuff. but it feels sort of like whether we are or not, whether we go back into, you know, crazy lockdown or not, it feels like we're coming out of this pandemic cloistering a little bit. And as we do that, and as I wrap up my second year of virtual field camp, I wanted to just sort of get your thoughts about where you think, you know, the future of these digital tools where it's going. Like I want to revisit this 300 shows from now and we can, you know, riff tracks it like we've done before and talk about how silly we were to think the things that we thought. But I mean, this is a deal. So like I have a lot of friends that are working, you know, they still work for oil companies or whatever, and they're starting to go back to work, but lots of different rules about what that means. The same thing at the university too. Um, you have professors, so I can do whatever I want, but like, you know, for our staff and things like this, like, what does this mean? What do you think are the digital things that we should hold on to as we go sort of back to air quote normal? And, you know, what are you, what are the things, how's this going to look in the future? How did this change us? And there are a thousand articles about this, but I want to talk about it, you know, with my digital guru. So here you go. I'm very curious why you want my opinion, because basically (laughs) nothing changed for me during all of this. I think that's why. (laughs) I think that's why I want your opinion. (laughs) Because I feel like, I mean, so much changed for me 
And I feel like you've always, you know, been a little bit of a step ahead in terms of, of adopting digital things, right? If I think about the, <laughs> you know, final, final documents that make you cringe. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I'm going to throw out the things that I think, and I just want to know sort of what your feelings are, because you definitely used Zoom where you wouldn't have done that before. You know, well, And we had too long before this because almost none of our customers are within even several hour driving distance of us. Right. So did you do digital calls though? Or did you just do, you know, old school phone calls? Oh, we almost never do phone calls. It's always been like a Google Hangout or a Zoom meeting. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the future of that is? Hmm. I mean, the future that I want is the ability to, once somebody turns their camera on, disable to turn it off. Uh, so you're not talking to a bunch of little squares with no picture. Okay. So before we get into that part, just the meetings, not the teaching, just right. the meetings. What do you think the future of Zoom is for meetings? I don't know. This is where I feel like I've lost some of my edge is just because <laughs> now I'm so used to what we've got. I'm not sure what could make it better. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some VR stuff in the future. I guess. Like, I, I'm i going to say, like, although I'm Zoomed out because everything is on Zoom, I love it. Yeah. I mean... I, there are so many things that people travel to, fly to, drive to, mm-hmm. that they don't need to. That they don't need to. And I even think, I mean, you're not that far gone. You can put yourself back into the campus. I even think that these like across campus meetings, please God, let me stay at my desk and let's just do it on Zoom. Yeah. I mean, there is a value to actually like shaking hands with somebody and all that. But especially if it's somebody that you already know, you've Mm -hmm. already had that initial shake hands, meet and greet type thing. And now, you know, it's the 20th meeting about the status of a project. Yeah. Do do you really care that they're there in person? No. Mm -hmm. I generally don't care that it's in person. Now, I do dislike that Zoom made it, it, it sort of became like email. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's like, oh, we'll just have a Zoom. Whereas mm-hmm. the difficulty of arranging that physical meeting reduced the number of them somewhat. Yes, this Zoom should have been an email. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's one of the downsides of this. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, agree I mean, I, I would like to see some tighter integration with things like whiteboarding tools. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> For um, the love of God. <laughs> I really want, like, okay, so we can do this. I can have a Zoom meeting. I can have a Google Doc or a Google Slide open that I'm sharing with people, and they can write on it or mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it works. It's clunky. But it works. 
I'm not totally sure how that gets better, but like I want an iPad in addition to my Zoom. So I'm watching, you know, people on my computer were talking or whatever. And then like we have this common notepad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That everybody can write on or doodle on or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. a separate device with a pencil. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, I think I just looked at this online today. <laughs> One of those like paper document writer things. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh, it's number. Oh, I can't even, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, yeah. And I, if that could integrate into zoom directly, that would have been amazing because I had to do, I, I use PowerPoint, not, you know, I don't read off my PowerPoints when I'm teaching and stuff. So it's like, I do a lot of board writing and it was impossibly hard to use that whiteboard on zoom. Well, and you know, when I'm teaching with uh friend of the show and guest of the show, Matt Hall, uh, we've been doing some virtual teaching and we actually ended up buying document cameras and we use like oh. colored pens and pencils <laughs> and Sharpies on just pieces of white copier paper mm-hmm. and share our document camera. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it works. Like other people can't draw on it. Yeah. But it's sort of like a whiteboard. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Remarkable is the thing that I was looking at. The remarkable too. Huh. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a paper tablet. I mean, it doesn't have that kind of integration. It's just for you to write your own notes on. But that sort of thing, that's a really, I hadn't thought about that at all. I had thought about that I want the whiteboard to be better, but I hadn't thought how. And that would be really cool if there was something that everyone could have and work on like that. And I will say this has changed for me, not with, not so much with COVID, but with just our company growing Mm -hmm. before, you know, I had a folder like, okay, we built these things. And as we're building them, I would put down, you know, I would write on notepads or whatever, like, okay, we measured from here to here and it was 13.6 inches. And, uh, you know, we measured down and like, I would sketch a little diagram of where we mounted something. And then I would just shove all that paper into a folder for that product. Right. Yeah. And next time we are going to build that, I'd pull that out and look at it and go, okay, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Okay. That doesn't work when you've got a lot of people. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of people, but mm-hmm. there are three people other than me in the shop right now. And that doesn't work. Too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, you can't say here is my random brain dump that's poorly structured in a folder folder that could easily be made into a crazy wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started using digital notes law and I found that customers like it too, because I can say, you know, in an update, like, Hey, we, this week we did this and this on your project and we worked on this calibration and I'm using my iPad. I'm putting pictures of the task in the notes and like drawing by them and circling things and all that. And then I just send them that PDF and be like, Oh, this is really cool. We actually get to see it. Ah, okay. You're, and you're just using the notes functionality in the iPad for that. I'm using notability. Okay. The app notability because the Apple notes function requires you to sync in their cloud. And right. that's not a garden I want to play in. Whereas notability will connect to Google drive, which is what everything in our business runs on. 
Oh. I just love making you say bad things about Apple. It makes me, it makes 10 years ago, Shannon laugh. (laughs) They make really good pencils. Oh oh my gosh. Um, So that's really cool because even, and this is the thing, like, I don't think we would have known this, but I think about you in your shop or like me in a research meeting or something. If we all were sitting there with that thing and jointly drawing on it, you know, it's the thing that I hate about whiteboards is that I have to erase them. Yeah. And so I just have a bunch of pictures of whiteboards, but I'd much rather have that captured and be able to, you know, go back and change it or whatever. And if everyone was writing on that at the same time, even, even if we were in a meeting room in the same room, right. If we were in a meeting all together in the same room and each had that accessibility and then the ability to store that and move forward with it. I think that would be so powerful. And I don't necessarily know if we would have figured that out without the pandemic. Yeah. And there's a really interesting embedded.fm friends, Alicia and Chris of the show. And one of the more recent ones actually uh talking about sketch noting and uh the person they interview is a like a a product a developer advocate for a product for microsoft okay and there's a lot of talk about how to capture things like you know you can hire somebody to come sketch note your meeting agu's done this Um, you can hire somebody that really? as your meeting is going on, they just stand up there. Well, just it sounds, they stand up there with a, you know, a thing of paper or whatever, and they're sketching the ideas. And they said, well, you know, sometimes it's really interesting because they'll produce sketch notes like as a take home for their audience. And then people in the audience will send them sketch notes and they're like, interesting. These are the things that I thought you needed to get from my talk. And these are the things you got. Right. Like mm-hmm. what's the overlap there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, I'm writing that down because I definitely want to uh, to go do that. Um, I think yeah, it's a super some- interesting show. So I, I encourage. And if you don't listen to that podcast, go listen to that podcast and subscribe. They're fantastic yes. people and very interesting show. Yes. Oh man! It, ever since we did our show about figures and graphs and stuff, because I told you, you know, like I'm just I'm. I'm very word focused. I'm not picture focused, but I try to make myself be more picture focused. So that's a, that's a cool idea to go do just to help yeah. like my mind think that way. Cause it's not my default. Um, hmm. Okay. So yeah, yeah meetings. Uh, yeah, I think they'll, well, they should stay. <laughs> Conferences, I think, need to be in person. So I was amazed at how well some of the conferences handled, you know, the digital part, but I did not enjoy it. I get 80% of the benefit from a conference after the conference hours, sitting in a restaurant, bumping Mm -hmm. into people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or walking through the posters and bumping through people, or bumping into people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, and they tried it 
there were like digital hangout rooms and it was weird. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you saw this. I don't remember what I saw this demoed. I did not ever see it at a conference I went to, but I think it's a, I think it's a thing now and I'm not going to remember the name of it. But is it where you've got the avatars and you can yes, walk, and around. You walk yes. around and talk to like groups of people that are sitting there. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, it seemed cool, but you know, it's still not the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So that stuff I think needs to happen in person, but like a research group meeting. Yeah. Yeah. That could probably happen virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, it also helps everybody make good use of their time. Like there are some meetings that I'm on that, I mostly need to listen mm-hmm. or I occasionally have something to say, but I can 100% be listening to that instead of a podcast while I'm driving. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It true. is. I'm not going to say shocking because there are people that did it more than I did, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of Zoom calls that I just needed to say hi at the beginning of the call, maybe say three sentences at some point in it and then say bye to everyone at the end of the call. And it was an hour long call. So instead of sitting at my desk, I'd be driving to an appointment or Mm -hmm. doing something and listening to it. And it was fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a fine line though, because I know there were definitely people like who I needed and like are they split our staff in the main office got split. So people were there two days a week and then the other people were there two days a week. Right. And so there were definitely times where it's like, okay, I need this thing. Now I would have walked into your office and we would have done this and now we're doing it. And I can tell you're in the car and it's still going to be like 45 minutes before you can get this thing done, you know? So that's like a mixed bag, right? Maybe. Um, yeah, I can see that. So that'll probably stick around. But what what other things? What else other than meetings did you want to? Oh, talk right. About? So I, obviously, I definitely want to talk about the teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you feel using Zoom for teaching? So, like the Arduino class that we do through our company, it's mostly a video course that you follow along with. Mm -hmm. And then we have once a week office hours, and then we have one or two meetings during it where everybody comes and like talks about your project or shows what you did or Mm -hmm. those are really fun. Like those, everybody hanging out, talking about their project. The office hours worked fine. In fact, I think people were more likely to use them than real life office hours. Right. Yeah. I never wanted to use real life office. I have to walk all the way across campus just to ask you a question because you only <laughs> will talk to me about my homework in this hour and a half window. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So there's that. Um, but as far as like lecturing over Zoom, it was terrible. <laughs> Teaching programming, so much of it is you teach a concept and you ask people to try it. And you stand at the back of the room where you can just get a very high level glance at everybody's screen where you can read their facial expressions Mm -hmm. and you can just walk up and say, Hey, looks like you're hit. 
what if you change this? Think about that. I yeah. can't do that. Yeah, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit, because most people turn their video off. Or if you know, we say, "Hey, give us a thumbs up in Slack when you're done with this exercise," or you know, message us if you need help. Most people, if they get stuck, just start checking email. <laughs> yes, because mm -hmm. we're going to give them the solution later anyway. I don't get to, ha and I don't get to walk up and sit down beside somebody in the classroom during an activity help them get past a roadblock that they have specifically them because it would be embarrassing if I did that in front of everybody potentially. Right. Yeah. Or they would feel that it is, they shouldn't, but they would. Right. Um, I, I really miss that personal interaction and just getting to like, I don't get to sit down and have lunch with these people. Mm -hmm. I got so much out of that when we were teaching in person I could sit down and have lunch and be like, so tell me about your job. Like, what do you do? What do you, okay, well, what, what do you, how do you want to use what we're teaching you in your job? And then like magically after lunch, examples relevant to people in the class could appear. <laughs> how does that um, happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't do that. I hate lecturing on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what happened? And this is really interesting to me. Is that, you know, I um, we all get, you know, teacher evaluations, right? And there's all kinds of biases that go along with this and whatever. But it's like, my teaching evaluations are generally really good. Not to toot my own horn, but I will a little bit. Um, they're usually really good. My, I taught this asynchronous class. So it's my native science class. It's a class I teach all the time, every year, right? So I taught it for a month last summer. That's the class I'm teaching right now too. So it's totally asynchronous. I just sat down, I recorded my lectures and that's it. I just, I post the whole week. Here you go. Do your thing. I, the only, I don't even have an interaction really with the students. Their first assignment is they have to like record a video of them introducing themselves just because I want to see their faces. But really that's it. I hold office hours. No one comes. I'll get like five or six emails. That's it. My evaluations for that class were like middle of the road, yep. completely middle of the road. And it's like, it's the same PowerPoints. It's the same lecture I give, but because you're not face to face with me, like obviously the Shannon experience is definitely in person. <laughs> There's a reason we scream at the cars in front of us on the road, not at the people. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. That was unexpected and an interesting outcome to this. And I think that's all the, that's all I needed in terms of data to say that you cannot learn online like you learn in person. No. And so I took, when I was at OU, I took an online class because it was a class that OU did not offer and I wanted to take as a physics elective. So I mm -hmm. took it from Kansas. Okay. And it was the same thing. It was all pre-recorded. The only thing was, you know, there are set test dates here and here and you have to go to your university's testing center to take the test. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are homeworks and they're due... You know, here, here, and yep. here. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. But, but the lectures, 
watch two, you know, pick two days a month and watch 20 each day or, you know, whatever. It's up to you. Um, I got quite a bit of knowledge from that class because I watched all the lectures. I took notes just like I was in class. I did all the homework diligently. Like, you know, I, I tried hard. Right. But there was no personal interaction. You could only ask questions, you know, via email, which you still got them answered, but I didn't ever get to have those discussions. Like the reason I got a job as an undergrad working in geology labs because an after class discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, a few, I don't know, it was probably a year after I took that class, maybe more. I saw an article of like a DIY thing that was really relevant to something we talked about in the class. And I emailed the professor and they're like, who are you? You know, because, and I was like, oh yeah, I took your online class. There's no reason that you know who I am because you probably like a TA probably graded the tests and the homeworks Uh like, but I didn't get to have that. Some of my good friends, or at least what I would consider good friends, are people that have taught me at one time or another. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't get that from an online experience. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. I've had programming students that have had me teach them programming that will still like randomly out of the blue text and be like, hey, I'm working on this thing and I can't figure it out. Like, do you have five minutes? Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I have had that happen from people I've taught in person. I have not once had that happen from somebody I've taught virtually. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm, you know, shaking my fist and yelling at clouds somewhat. Yeah. Um, there's a big difference from camp last year and camp this year, because last year, you know, I don't think people got, sent home from the university, right? Like get out, we're closed. Um, there weren't computer labs or anything you could go to. So it's like not everybody had cameras basically. So I didn't require anyone to turn on a camera because I knew that some of my students didn't have them, um, last year for camp. And so consequently no one turned on their camera And it was, I taught that six weeks, like into the void and it was not great. It was not great. Like there was actually some, you know, complaints at the end because only like two people did talked at all, you know, right? like I had an outside student who I didn't know what they look like at all till like three weeks in when they had a question and turned on their camera to show me like their sketch that they had made, you know, I was like, Oh, Hey, you're a person. How about that? (laughs) Um, so that was interesting. So this year I said, no, you're turning your cameras on. I'm not doing that again. This was terrible. And even then a third of the class still didn't do it. And I thought that was, you know, and I'm like, okay, well you can go to a computer lab or a library or whatever. Like everything's open now. There's no excuse for this. So that, that was a thing. Um, people definitely were a little bit, so I asked this both last year and this year, 
um, you know, were you more comfortable asking questions digitally or in person? Like, where were you more likely to seek help? Because we also had, and I outlined all this last year, I'm not going to go through it again, but we also had like a Slack set up too. Um, and so most people actually said that they were more likely to ask questions digitally, which I thought was interesting. I, I see that. I can agree with that even. But mm-hmm. I don't know about, well, I know field camps this way. It's like teaching programming. A lot of maybe traditional classroom courses aren't where it's not about the questions they ask. It's about what you see them doing and find yes. like those moment of opportunity teaching things. A hundred percent. So all, almost all of that's gone. Right. right. So almost all of that's gone. And I think you can lose or gain students based on that. Like you can keep somebody, if you're a good teacher, you can keep somebody engaged in the material, maybe even engaged in, in my case, geology because of the attention you can give them in those moments, you know? Yes. And that sucks when that's completely gone. You can't see them pick up some odd hand sample and look at it and like stare at it for a few seconds and then throw it down because they don't understand it or frustrated by it and walk away. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't see them even... take strike and dip on a piece of breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, not even a little bit. And so that that part sucked a lot. Um, what was interesting because we had a little bit of an experiment this year because part of the class came out to do hybrid field camp, right? And so this class, unlike last year, you know, last year we got shut down, but we had actually already been on most of our intro to, or field methods, field trips. So the class that, you know, they take before, um, that's very field trip intensive. We'd actually been on most of our field trips already. So they didn't miss too many. They missed like two of, you know, six. So they didn't miss too many. And that class had been out in the field. So now this class that came through camp this year, the only field trip they'd had was intro geology. Yikes. Yeah. Because of when we got shut down, they missed all the big field trips, you know, and it's like, we've got significant field trips that they go on and they missed all of them. So they come out to camp and it's, Basically, the first time, I mean, I did for my field methods course, we had field trips around campus, but that's still not mapping. I can set out all the, I mean, they were real rocks. They weren't fake rocks, but set out all the fake structures I wanted to, but it's still not mapping, right? Um, and so to, to see them go out into the field after only being taught geology virtually, essentially, you know, they missed all their field trips. They had to take labs virtually. So they haven't touched a lot of rocks. And that was the interesting part. Like, you know how it is out in the field. You always have to encourage people to, like, go up to the rocks and do stuff. But it was almost like they were twice as bad. Like, they couldn't touch them. I'm sorry. It's the 4th of July. My <laughs> There's going to be booms in the background. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, no, yeah. it is. Cause you're like, you have a hammer, hit it. Like, yes. I can do that. And it's like, yes, hit yes. it. Correct. 
<laughs> and I feel like you always have to go through that. You always go through that. But my goodness. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It just felt like, you know, pulling teeth to try to get students to actually go up and touch the rock because that was not their experience. You know, their experience with rocks was having a digital model of a rock or just a picture. And that was it. So that was, that was an interesting thing that I hadn't anticipated, you know, because I'm so far removed from not touching a rock, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> when I think as instructors too, we want to make sure that like when you're teaching digitally, at least for me, you want to make sure that the point gets across and that everybody's not just stuck. So yes. you pick like, you know, if in your case, I bet you picked ideal pictures of clear right. contacts. Yeah. All right, exactly. And then you get in the field, and you're like, that is like the rare exception easy case. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what we teach people, like if it were a real class, I might give you a harder problem knowing that I can kind of walk around and nudge people in the right direction versus everybody just deciding that all my problem sets are impossible and giving up. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's very true. So that part was interesting. And, you know, talking about this, and this is sort of, I guess, just what I wanted to, the digital future is different for different things. Um, because I think it'll make meetings better. But in terms of teaching, I'm not sure that there's, I don't know. Because the other part of this is the good part that I think maybe should go forward. And this is also what I'm interested in your thoughts on is that, you know, in the past field camp has always been this rite of passage thing, you know, and it's like, Oh man, where'd you go to field camp? It's like the first thing jail just asked each other or whatever. And it's like field camp is grueling mentally. It's grueling physically. It's hard work for a long time, right? It's six weeks. And, you know, most field courses are six weeks. And it's like, it's not feasible anymore. I mean, maybe it never was, but a lot of people can't do that anymore. And whether they can't do that for physical reasons, they can't do it for mental reasons, or they can't do it for financial reasons. I think that there's a place for a virtual field camp replacement. I think it's, it's not the same thing. You can't say it's the same thing because it's not. But I think that the skills that the students get digitally are pretty good and are pretty good for going out into the workforce. I think there's a hybrid model. So I'm going to say the workload of field camp, just right. Yes. Like, yes, it is absolutely brutal. But guess what? Yes. So is your That's, job. Yeah. Like, you'll have times in your job where I haven't slept. Yes. Correct. <laughs> I mean, I, I know everybody says, well, you know, that's a very unhealthy work at it. Okay. Ignore that for now. <laughs> Every job I've ever had there has been occasional spurts of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of jobs. 
Right. If that's not your job, fantastic. Um, right. But I think that you need to have that because honestly, you've got to make sure when they leave field camp, you know, they're getting credit for that, that they have the skills they need. Right. And one of those skills is being able to handle a large amount of work in an efficient way. Okay. Uh, that's, that's your job. Yes. But I think also in the real world, you're going to, let's say you go out and do some field work. You're lucky enough to be let out of your cubicle. <laughs> you're not going to be out of your cubicle for six weeks. You're going to be out of your cubicle for weeks, maybe if you're lucky. And then you're going to spend the following months using technology to process, interpret, and understand that data that you collected. Nobody now is going to pay you to sit in the field and keep working on your data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think on that, because that's that's my, and I granted don't work as a geologist in a large company, but that's my view is they need the digital skills but they also need to have a more and the geophysics field camp. We kind of tried to do that. Like, okay, we're going to spend three days collecting a seismic line and then two days in a lab working on that data. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the thing that's turned my thinking on that a little bit. So also what I've asked and my sample size is small, but it's 30. Um, how many days or how many hours a day did you work? And so last year, the mean was seven hours a day. And this year, I think the mean was nine hours a day. And there were a couple people that were like, I worked every waking moment. I worked up to 14 hour days couple days I worked 16 hour days I took a half day off on the weekends so the workload like field camp yes yes so I think the thing that I put together and it's I mean not just me my TAs and you know um and I'm not saying mine's the only one that's this good or anything but the thing I put together is absolutely equivalent in terms of like the mental workload But I get to think, like, there are a lot of geology jobs that don't necessarily involve gathering or interpreting field data. Because, like, when I was a petroleum geologist for five years, I did get to go in the field. It wasn't my field. It was just getting to go on field trips. So it's like, I never collected one ounce in five years of physical data that I, that I went out and touched. And so you you need to know where that data come from. Correct. Correct. And like, we would go out there to figure that out. Um, like, you know, we would go out on logging jobs or coring jobs, things like that. I never actually got a core, but, um, we would go out and we understood, you know, where those data originate. Um, But the thing was, like, it shouldn't make you, and I I was definitely a proponent of this, like, the geologist that sees the most rocks wins. 
Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's true anymore because of the capabilities we have with stuff like Google Earth. Like you can see a lot of rocks without touching them. And you can even start to understand those rocks without touching them. And it's like one of the things that we did is this virtual landscape. And it's like a video game. It's like walking through Minecraft, but there's rocks in it. And then they've just added on, this is the University of Leeds, if you wanted to ever look this up. Um, they've just added on to that. And now they've like virtualized real structural problems and have these super cool virtual landscapes. So where you actually get like, you have to walk around, you can't do ridiculous things like jump around or anything. So you have to take the time you would take in the field to gather your data. Um, but the other thing is like, we did a lot of work with this program called JMARS. And it's like GIS, it's through Arizona State, but it's what you would use if you were mapping stuff on Mars, the moon, Venus. It's this sort of GIS type interface to take in all this planetary data. And it's like planetary scientists never get to go in the field and see their planets or their data, you know? Um, and we did like a two week long this year we did a two week long exercise with that and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it could be. And you know, like you said, you have to walk around and take the time that you would in the field. See, to me, that is backwards because if you're going to be using technology, <laughs> why waste time? Oh, that's like funny. Te technology is there to empower you. So if you're already going to be using it, I don't know, that seems sort of like, you know, <laughs> attaching a motor and wheels in front of a horse-drawn buggy. <laughs> that is, see, this is why I wanted to talk to you. That's really funny. Okay, so I said we did that, and that's how it was last year. And there were, and if you've been to the UK, you've seen these, like there's like old stone walls everywhere, right? That like blocked off different people's fields and stuff. So this virtual, because it's from Leeds, um, this virtual landscape had a lot of stone walls. And last year you had to walk around them and it took a long time. Like it took a long time to navigate this digital landscape because you couldn't jump over the walls. And like, you can't jump over the stream. You have to walk down to the bridge and cross <laughs> this year you could jump over the walls. <laughs> exactly. I think because <laughs> like, so many people to me, that, that's sort of like hazing for yes. hazing sake. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Like the point I didn't of, want the, point of the workload shouldn't be, you should be miserable. Right. Like the point of the workload should be, you have so much to learn and we're going to do everything we can to do that in the best way possible. So to me, right. like having to spend time sitting there, that would have made me furious. <laughs> oh man. That's really, that's really interesting. I would have coded a click bot 100% for sure. <laughs> uh, there was, um, on one of the digital landscapes, you could toggle back and forth between the actual, like the virtual landscape and, and topographic map, like a digital elevation model looking thing. And so if you were in the DEM, you could cross the rivers without <laughs> being in it. And it's the first thing they figure out. But I think that has amazing value, right? Learning how to 
speed yourself up learning how to like help your workflow. Right. It's like, and, it's like people doing Rungakutta integration in Excel, right? Like you will take the tool that you have, <laughs> the tool that is available and you will abuse it to its fullest potential. Exactly. But sometimes that's all you get, right? You know, you work for a tiny company that can't afford the software you really want. So right. you've got to learn how to steer your horizontal well in Excel, which my friend has like programmed this crazy macro because that's what her company gave her, you know? Um, so, so I think there's a lot of value in that. And where do you get that? Like, where are you forced in your curriculum to sit down and do that? There's not a lot of courses. No. I, mean, I can think of a couple that I took that did that, but that's because they had excellent teachers. Interesting. So that happens the using the slack. Um, so this was really great. One of the students ratted everybody else out, which I'm super glad for. I mean, not by, not actually by name, but she said, I found it really interesting that how much we all talk to each other. She said, I don't think you realized how much we communicated throughout the day. And she said, I don't mean cheating. I just mean, we actually talk to each other to help each other figure these things out. And she said, I didn't realize that would happen. And I thought it was really great. Yeah. Welcome to teamwork. Exactly. But where do you have to learn that? You know what I mean? Like I didn't put them in groups. I said, here's a Slack. This is how it works. Yeah. Cause how's every group project that you assign in a university exactly. go? Exactly. It's terrible, right? One right. person does it. And yeah. And so like I purposefully no group projects, but I also tell them, feel free to talk to each other. I don't care. You know, as long as your stuff doesn't look exactly like, I don't care. You know, I can well, tell. How does it work in the actual field camp? Exactly. I mean, you know, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, people sit there and eat and talk to each other. Like, mm-hmm. very few people are like, you can't look at what I'm doing. Yes, correct. I mean, there are a few, but yeah, it's impossible to do, though. So, yeah, I'm exceedingly pleased I think at the final like learning outcomes of digital field camp, I think for the rest. And I think there's a place for that as long as you also get the stuff you're talking about, as long as you've also had field experiences, which our students do because they have to take field methods, you know? Um, So, yeah. And I don't think that because you're not mentally or physically able to be present or participate for six weeks outside, I don't think that means you can't be a geologist. Oh, totally. But before, but at OU and many other schools, it did mean that. Because that's part of their degree. Like, that's your capstone class. You have to take it. We had no alternatives. So... This was interesting. It's changed yeah. my mind. No, that's interesting. It's very true. Um, yeah, and you're right. They don't really get a lot of those work skills. And having worked with some, you know, younger folks that are just coming out uh, of either primary education or secondary education, both the biggest pieces missing. I mean, some of it is just knowledge pieces. Mm -hmm. That's not nearly the problem most of the time. 
Uh Because any job, you're going to learn a lot of the knowledge you need on the job anyway. So that one doesn't affect me so much. But the the skills to be able to communicate, Mm -hmm. to work together with someone, and to seek out information are not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know Correct. how we transitioned to a very, I'm going to ask any question that comes to mind. So let me address this very quickly. And then, you know, this show that I thought was going to be 10 minutes, we can get on to our favorite right. segment. Um, here's what I did to address that. And it worked. In the beginning, I said, these are the things you need to download. You know, make sure you download the stuff. You'll have, I'm giving this to you two weeks early, so there's not going to be, I couldn't download this the day stuff was due. And I said that some of our things you will be able to, some of our exercises, you can print off this piece of paper and turn it in. Shockingly, no one has printers anymore. This is shocking to me. This is not shocking to anyone under the age of 30, probably. No one has printers anymore. And so I said, okay, here are some free softwares that make amazing figures. You can use Inkscape, which I highly recommend. Um, Karelia, I think is one of them. Or that's a Pokemon. It's something close to that name. (laughs) And there's a couple of other free softwares And I said, you're going to have to make digital strat columns and digital maps. Figure it out. I don't care what you use. You want to buy Illustrator? Go for it. You don't have to. You can use these free ones. I've given you these resources. I will not tell you how to use it. I won't help you. You're going to have to turn in a digital map. So figure it out. Yeah. And... Did a lot of people ask you anyway? uh, No one, hardly anyone asked me how to use it. I don't think actually I had anyone. I think my TAs might have had a few people ask some questions um, just because I, I encourage everyone to use Inkscape. So like my TAs have experience with Inkscape. Um, But yeah, I got zero and it's like some of the maps are not bad. I would say that 80% of the people commented on that and said, I've never just like been forced to sit down and do that and know that like, I have to do this to figure it out, to turn in what you want. And I thought I would have received feedback that said, I hated that you didn't show us how to use stuff, but it was exactly the opposite. They would say, I appreciate that I had time to figure out this thing on my own. And then I was impressed I could use it. That's pretty interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, and unexpected. I'm very curious. I, somewhat times I think it's because you and I were early in our learning careers, but not at the beginning of them when the internet came around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it was just amazing. I had all these questions when I was really young. And... If they couldn't get answered by a parent or a teacher, there was a library. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But then the internet came around and, oh my gosh, 
It's just like I could start reading now and never sleep again and still be following <laughs> Wikipedia links <laughs> until I die. And yeah. all of it would be fascinating. Yeah. So to me, you know, if I have a question, the first thing I do is start typing it into Google. It can be a question that has no relevance, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I don't You're see that at all now. <laughs> you don't see people doing that? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And this is my biggest, and we can complain about this, and this is a totally different show. When people say that students today are digital natives, it's False. such a misrepresentation of what that means. Because, using Facebook and Twitter does yes, not mean you know how to use absolutely technology. Correct. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Because 5% of students are using the technology that they have to its half of its potential. You're exactly right. So there is an inherent, it's not just laziness, but it, it is. It's like the students who wouldn't go up to the outcrop to touch rocks. They have to be told. Like, go, go do that thing, you know? And so that's where I think that they need more. You said this about teachers, and this is true. They need more um, expectation that they have to master a thing themselves. I'm not going to, you have to master it. Your grade depends on it. I will give you, you know, I'm not going to help you do it. And a lot of that happened in terms of like computers breaking down and stuff. And it's like, man, everything's open now. Go find a library. You yep. still got to turn your stuff in. <laughs> like there's no excuse to not have access to a computer. Well, and you know, when we got computers, when we were young, they came with a manual on how to write a program for them. Yes. <laughs> and to me, that's being a digital native. Like you had to mm -hmm. understand how this thing worked if you wanted to do anything with it. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. Not be able to browse a web page, which again, a lot of people don't even use that. I mean, and I do see, you know, people roughly our age and older mostly, like if you've got a question, the first thing you do is Google it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's a gap in between where that's 50-50. And then there's people that are in high school right now that will say like, I wonder if blah, blah, blah. Huh. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll never know. And then move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I don't understand how that can oh. come about in this age of. Right. I think that's, access. I think that's expectations. I think that's a whole schooling trend. For sure. Like, no, I'm not going to tell you the answer, even if I know it, because yeah, that's like not how our, you learn. It's like our front tagline, though. You know, it's a lot of information. And so where we were dealing with a paucity of information, if it wasn't in, you know, if it wasn't in Britannica, we were kind of hosed. Today, it's a dearth of information, but it results in the same thing. You know, oh, wait, no, right. I used earth wrong. Sorry. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah, a plethora. <laughs> plethora, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you've got this plethora of information, and it produces the same result of, gosh, there's so much, I don't even know where to start with it, right? Well, and also, and this is, yeah, we need to move on to fun paper, but the yes. uh, <laughs> the idea, and I think this does come from schooling in a lot of places, but certainly in the U.S., 
of there is an answer. Yes. And it is right or it is wrong. It's not an exact science. Virtually everything. Except engineering kids. (laughs) And even then. (laughs) Those are significant digits. They have those safety factors for a reason because there's lots of stuff we don't remember to think about. Yeah. So, hmm. well, that was interesting. Um, yeah. We'll we'll re we'll come back to this on the next few turns of the wheel of time and see where we've been and see if we're like, no, Zoom was a bad idea; it should go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, with that, uh, it's finally time for everybody's favorite segment. Fun Paper Friday! Yay! That I have to the, the, the yeah, I'm gonna have to spray some WD forty in here or something. Yeah, you are. It wasn't was... ringing very well. <laughs> Just because we took a week off, cowbell. Jeez. Um. I do think it's funny that the the clacker in here has paint beat off of it, as do a couple places on the side of it. It's ah. very few cowbells. I think get that much use. Oh man, that's great. Um, I'm assuming Daryl sent this in, our fun paper provider. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> guest, uh, phantom co host of the show, uh, Daryl, who has provided so many fun papers for us. And, Daryl, thank you. Uh, yes. I do appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, sent in this pretty interesting paper on. The piezoelectric properties of wood. Mm-hmm. Yes. And which is not something I would have thought of, of being piezoelectric and is called piezoelectricity of wood by Fukata, mm-hmm. 1955. 1955. This is so cool. Um, and I feel like this is one of those things that's like, hey, put that piece of wood in here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? Well, and there are a few things I love about this. One, experimental setups from the 40s, 50s, and 60s are all testaments to the people that designed them because most of them didn't exist before. You had very limited technology to do it with. Mm-hmm. And generally a lot more limited budget. But you had a lot of time because you weren't answering email. So they came it's about so with true. these very elegant well thought out experimental setups. You, you see the scientific method in older papers much more than you do in newer ones, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they had to draft their own figures, which they also had time to do. Or pay By a draft hand. person that, you know, your department had on staff to hand draw your graphs. The whole job of that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom talks about taking drafting in high school and how much she liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it turns out, you know, when we talk about that, what is a weird thing to say? Um, I thought these were interesting too, because he first references other non-crystalline materials and their piezoelectric properties of stuff like rubber or paraffin or glass. And then it's like, okay, well, let's set up this experiment to figure out if this non-crystalline would if you can measure it. Now, the one thing that newer papers do a better job of, largely because it's required to get funding anymore, is broader impacts. Yes. So, you know, they say, <laughs> of particular interest are those which investigate the piezoelectric electricity of wood, human hair, uh, and wool. These works were generally qualitative and do not seem to have drawn the proper attention. 
<laughs> and that's pretty much what we say about why you should care. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So broader impacts, not so much. Uh, yeah. Because, well, what, <laughs> why do we care that it's piezoelectric? Well, I think, I mean, for one, you could make a chair a scale. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, there's, there's some pretty interesting things I think you could do in technology with this. Mm-hmm. You know, what about, can you, can you somehow use this to instrument studs in a wall to learn about stresses on a house? Mm-hmm. Evaluate the health of a building. That's a big deal. Now that we just had a major disaster here in the U S with a building collapse. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, could something like this be used to monitor the structural health of a building? Maybe. So he doesn't go that far, but I did highlight the sentence that I liked at the, near the end of the discussion, which was talking about, I mean, talking about this, right? So he's talking about how, you know, the structure of the wood and how that could be similar to other things. So it says, you know, there's, there's a vast possibility that many high polymers other than cellulose have the piezoelectricity also in their crystalline form. And it might not be too absurd to imagine the creation of the highly piezoelectric plastics, you know, which are artificially manufactured. So, you know, he's got one of them in there, but I just like the wording of that. <laughs> yeah. That's well, and I do really broader impact. <laughs> right. Well, I do really appreciate two in here. Like figure one is defining the coordinate system that he's going to talk about. Yes. You would never I... see that in a paper now. No. No. What you would see is some sentence that says something like unit vector Z hat is represented by the plane perpendicular to <clears throat> the mesel of natural cellulose orthogonal yes. to a tangential X hat. Ve- like this one simple picture that took a dress person five <laughs> seconds to draw says oh, all of that. Exactly. And we all understood it. Yep, exactly. I know. Cause they were like with the grain and like, Oh God. Okay. Let's look at, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, I understand. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And it's not right. that this is a simple paper. It is not. No, no, it is not at all. I mean, we're talking about strain tensors in here. We're doing some pretty intense uh, differential Mm -hmm. equations. I know. That's where I Uh, was not happy about this paper. But (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and the lab apparatus, this thing looks like it took, I don't know, a few months to put together. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yes, I mean, it uses vacuum tube amplifiers, which were not known for their stability. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of working and tweaking all the stuff that doesn't actually get in the paper. You know, I can see a couple of weeks trying to get all that to work correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we found out that wood is piezoelectric and then we also tested in here the converse piezo effect, which I didn't understand just reading it exactly what it was, but, and then mm-hmm. once you read a few sentences, you're like, ah, I get it. Mm-hmm. instead of squeezing it and seeing the voltage come out, we're going to apply voltage and watch it strain, mm. which is something we do with piezo materials all the time. That's how piezo speakers work. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they did that. And then because you know laser vibrometers weren't exactly available off the shelf in 55, mm-hmm. uh, they sandwiched a piece of salt against it. 
and connect electrodes to that and said, well, we know when we strain salt so much, what kind of output we get. So we're going to use salt as sort of a load cell. And then we're going to apply voltage to the wood and watch how much it strains the salt. And because of what we know about salt's properties, we can therefore derive the wood's piezoelectric properties. That's beautiful. That is bootstrapping your way to new knowledge. Yep. That's amazing. Can you tell me what Rochelle salt is, though? I'm assuming it's a locality. I don't know. Okay. Because that's what they call that in there. Um, hmm. yeah. uh, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, also called sodium, potassium, tartrate, tetrahydrate. Okay, I'm going to Google it. <laughs> a crystalline solid having a large piezoelectric effect, <laughs> making it useful in sensitive acoustical and vibrational devices. All right, there you go. So it is not plain salt. Nope, it is not. And it is gorgeous. It is very beautiful. It looks like a diamond. Um, this compound is not toxic and is in fact edible, but not tasty at all. And to bring it full circle, I found that on Britannica.com. Ah, oh, look at that. <laughs> and I really sound like an old person boring. yelling at clouds. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, you sure do. Oh, man. <clears throat> okay. So I- I'm really not, but <laughs> maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit, a little bit. So this was, I I just thought it was a beautiful experimental paper. Yeah, it's Uh, really cool. It's a one author paper, which is not something we see hardly ever anymore. No, that we'll probably talk about it on a future show. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Because there there are thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. We talked about them for a half an hour before this. (laughs) Uh, So yes, Woods Piezoelectric. So go out and um, I wouldn't say hook your voltmeter to it. It's not that piezoelectric. Yeah. They use this thing called a ballistic galvanometer. That sounds fun. Uh, I did a deep dive on that. Not going to go into it. <laughs> Other than to say, to me, the word ballistic, like bullet or. Yes. Well, really, it's just saying things that obey physics with inertia. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Uh, so it's. It's one of those things that it seems like in this time period, a lot of techniques or instruments were named something that you have to stop and think about, but then you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's just like first principles. Yeah. Whereas now we would call it by, you know, some brand name or trade name or something. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what we would do. So hmm, That's kind of cool. Anyway, and I also because they probably had to build it themselves, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why you just call it that. So you can go look up ballistic galvanometers. They're they're pretty interesting. Mm, I got about 15 minutes before I go to sleep. Sounds good. <laughs> I have about five. So <laughs> uh, with we that, better go, then. <laughs> we better go. And uh, Shannon, where can folks send us the uh, detailed ballistic constant calibration for their <laughs> ballistic galvanometer and their measurements of the piezoelectric properties of wood, specifically to fill in our table, we're looking for Piner Ash, the D141524 and 25 crystallographic orientations. Shannon, how can we send that information in? <laughs> Nobody has money to buy wood. Um, <laughs> but 
<laughs> you can do that. And don't forget to send us your howdies show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Uh, you can <laughs> show us your data on Twitter. We're at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Um, you can support us on Patreon if you like this kind of thing. Please do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And even though the folks at Google go in and remove every entry they can find for <laughs> our show every time they hear us say it, until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.